What's up, everybody, and welcome to the second installment of the Mastering Miles podcast powered by Bioendurance PT and Performance. My name is Matt, and I am a physical therapist that specializes in treating runners in the Milwaukee area. Today's episode is all about the growth mindset, and we are chatting with Dr. Lenny Ramsey, who I think really well exemplifies that growth mindset. She is a professional triathlete and also has her PhD in neuroscience. We're going to be chatting with her about how her career in triathlon got started. We'll also dive into her mental grit and growth mindset surrounding many injuries that she's faced, as well as the way that she races triathlons. She's also making a huge shift in her athletic career at the moment as well, so we'll dive into that too, but I think she has some great opinions on growth mindset and mastery, and so I'm really looking forward to sharing this interview with you all as well, because I think we can all learn something from this conversation for sure. Also, since this is a really a brand new podcast, I would appreciate that if you are enjoying these episodes, please follow the Mastering Miles podcast on whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, as well as leave us a rating as well. I would really, really appreciate that. So um, with that, please enjoy my interview with Dr. Lenny Ramsey. What's up, everybody, and thanks again for tuning in to the Mastering Miles podcast. I'm super excited for today because I have with me Dr. Lenny Ramsey, who is a professional triathlete and a neuroscientist, Um, so I'm very excited to have her on the show, so feel free, Lenny, to go ahead and introduce yourself and give everyone a little bit of background on yourself. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, I'm a neuroscientist by training, uh, but over the past few years, I uh, have kind of transitioned into working more in, in kind of faculty development and right now in faculty affairs. Um, and I've started a new job back in June on the development of a new medical school. So I work in there as a, their director of faculty affairs. Um, and alongside all of that, for the past seven years, I've raced as a professional triathlete. Um, I started racing triathlon a couple of years before that uh, while I was in graduate school. Um, and it kind of turned from kind of a small something to try out into a pretty extensive hobby. Um, and I've always really enjoyed it. So I kind of just figured as long as I had fun with it, I would kind of keep doing it. Um, and yeah, so the, the pro, pro triathlon field has been a lot of fun and I really enjoyed it. It's a very, it's time consuming, but it also has given me a lot back. And as like a fun little backstory, so um, we were kind of connected via Carroll University and Carroll University, I graduated as a um, from phys- for, from the physical therapy program back in 2017. And when did you start teaching for the program? 2016. 2016. So you started like a year before I graduated, um, but you were teaching more of like the um first year PT students and second year PT students. So we didn't actually cross paths in the program. Um, But also in the 2018 Ironman Wisconsin, you placed fourth in the female pro division, correct? Yes. Yes. Cool. 
And I did the math, so that was my first triathlon, and I finished 1,015 places behind you. <laughs> so that's another connection that we had. I had to do the math to figure out exactly how what the what the distinction was exactly. So, <laughs> so um, you kind of mentioned like you had like a little bit of a gradual kind of introduction to triathlon. So, how exactly did you get introduced into triathlons, and how exactly did you start competing in them? I landed in triathlon by accident. Um, I started off, I was in graduate school um, getting my PhD and um, I had been pretty sedentary for quite a while. Uh, growing up in high school, I was I played soccer um, pretty fanatically, uh, but tore my ACL, both my knees and just kind of gave up on sports altogether. And then while I was in graduate school, I kind of tried to turn that back around. So I started going to the gym and kind of just getting my life back into kind of physical shape. Um, and the knee kept bothering me. So I finally, uh, got my ACL replaced and part of my meniscus removed. Um, and that took a little while to recover from, but I remember going to physical therapy and the physical therapist being like, so what do you want to do once, once you recover from this? And, uh, you know, I looked at him and I was like, well, I'd like to play soccer again, but you know, realistically I hadn't touched the soccer ball. And you know, at that point, probably like eight or nine years, um, and so he's like, why don't we start with running? And I was like, okay, that seems like a good starting point. And so that's kind of how I rolled into running. Um, started with a 5K and then was like, oh, this is actually kind of fun. So then I ran a half marathon and uh, then I got injured. Um, I snapped one of the metal tarsals in my foot, uh, had surgery, a little metal plate put in there. And from there decided that maybe I needed to balance it out a little bit. And so I got a bike and I started riding. And I got through a friend, got introduced to someone who was also relatively new, but had just started in triathlon. And I was like, well, maybe I should at least try it. So not having grown up as a swimmer, um, I knew how to swim. I grew up in the Netherlands and all the kids learn how to swim because we're surrounded by water. Um, but it's very much like, how do I survive? So it's a breaststroke. I can I could swim, you know, with my clothes on, but that wasn't going to get me very far in triathlon. <laughs> so I took swimming lessons at the local Y. Um and that's kind of how it started and it kind of rolled into it and kind of did some shorter races that first season. And um, then at the then at the end of the season, re realized that I didn't really know what I was doing. So I actually signed on with a coach at that point, just hired a coach. I was like, just tell me how I'm supposed to balance, you know, the training plus the eating. So to kind of get that under control. Um, and then I did my first local half Ironman at the end of that year. And that's kind of how it all started. That's cool. That's that's really cool how it just got started so modestly almost and the fact that you just were trying to find some activity after your injuries and you discovered that you were fairly pretty good at it to kind of make it more of a professional stint. So that's super cool. And I know um, in your a few of your first like age group races that you did, you placed um, up there in like the first place in a lot of those, correct? Yeah, so it started off local where I ended up doing pretty well. And then the year after that, I started doing a couple um, age group half Ironman races, uh, got injured, uh, had a stress fracture. And so kind of, you know, got a little wonky. Um, but then uh, kind of as I kind of came back stronger, kind of it just took some time. The year after that, I actually was the, the first year where uh, it was at the end of my grad school years where I, I won the age group race for the half Ironman in Chattanooga. Um, and then I think the half Ironman in Racine as well. And that was, that was 2016. Okay. Summer of cool. 2016. 
cool. And I remember when we were first chatting, there was a little bit of a timeline thing with you, like actually submitting <laughs> your thesis and then defending it while like mixed up with a race that was also going on that same week. Do you want to share that story? Yeah, it was a little messy. Um, I was very much at the end of my um, PhD years and I was really writing my thesis. So a few days a week I would spend writing and a couple days a week I would still be in lab. Um, but I would, was very structured, you know, I'd get like a swim done in the morning and then I'd sit at a coffee shop and write all day. And then I'd get home and I'd do like a bike ride or a run or something like that. So I had like this structure built in. Um, and then I handed in my thesis and then, uh, the week after that I did the half Ironman in Chattanooga and, um, I ended up winning that age group race unexpectedly. I mean, to me, at least unexpectedly. Um, and, but then, you know, I, didn't really know what to do with that information. And so I just went home and then had to like defend my thesis. So it was all kind of a, you know, <laughs> it all went to move very quickly. And uh, yeah, so that, that was the point where, you know, my coach was like, maybe you should consider going pro, but you know, I just defended my thesis. And at the same time, I had accepted the job at Carroll University. So I knew mm -hmm. I was moving and I was like, I cannot manage this big change. So I decided not, I was like, no, I can't, this is not what I want to do um, right now. And then, but then in the midst of all of that, uh, probably a month or two later, I, I raced Racine and won that race as well. And I was like, that was kind of that turning point where I was like, well, maybe I don't want to be winning races. If I'm going to do this, I want to be competing and I want to get the best out of myself. And I feel like the way to get the best out of myself is to compete with the best. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided to kind of give it a shot. That's awesome. And honestly, like if that isn't the definition of mastery, I don't know what is of like submitting your thesis and then winning the age group at Ironman 70.3 Chattanooga and then defending your thesis for your PhD. Like that's very, very impressive. So that's, that's a cool story. I, I'm, I'm a fan of that anecdote for sure. Yeah, it was a little whirlwind of a time. That's for sure. <laughs> that's one I'm going to share with patients. If they're having a hard time with like time management, I'm going to, I'm going to share that story to help inspire some people for sure. So um, with your experience of like racing in the age group, as well as racing pro, like what is that difference a little bit in like truly racing in just the age group race and then taking it a step further by racing in the professional field of these Ironman 70.3 and full Ironman races? I went pro on the half Ironman distance and I'd never done a full. Uh, and, but on the half Ironman distance that my first pro season 2017, I mean, I, it felt like a small disaster, <laughs> to be very honest. Um, some of the bigger changes are that you start in the front of the field. So I'm not a great swimmer. That's an understatement compared to the pro in the amateur field. I do fine in the pro field. I'm usually one of the last ones out of the water. And definitely at that time, I would most, almost most definitely be the last one out of the water. And so my first pro race, I remember that gun going off because you start ahead of everybody else, right? The men, the male pros start five minutes later, we start. And then five or 10 minutes later, the, the eight groupers start. And so that gun goes off, but there's, you know, 12 to 15 women in a little huddle in the water. We have almost always have an in-water start and that gun goes off and everybody just books it. Like we're swimming, like, you know, a 200 sprint or something. And I just had a moment, a little heart attack of like, oh no. Now what? And so like at that point, all you can do is just start swimming. Right. Um, and then I got to the bike uh, and as I get on the bike, there's nobody around me. Right. I'm the last bike on that pro rack and I get on the road and for the full, you know, probably 
the whole bike ride, full 56 miles, I saw maybe one or two people. I might have passed a person. But for the rest of that, for the rest of it, it was pretty desolate, right? So pretty quiet. And so mentally, I just like went down this rabbit hole so that by the time I got to the run, which is normally my strength, at that point, it wasn't as strong as it got later on, but it still was my strength. By the time I got to that run, I just physically had nothing left because I had mentally exhausted myself. Um, and the big difference is just that normally during amateur race, I get out of the water with tons of people around me. And this was back in the time when we still had age waves and you'd start as a wave with your age group. Mm -hmm. um, but you would start, you know, in between all these people that have all these different swim speeds. So by the time I get onto the bike, there's people of either similar swim speeds to me around me, or there's men and women from previous groups in front or behind me, right? So there's all these people around. So as soon as I get on the bike, I start passing people, right? You start passing person after person after person. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is look ahead and find the next person to go after and pass. And so you kind of have that con constant feedback of, okay, you're doing well, you're passing people. And then the same on the run because, you know, I'm a strong runner. So I'll be, I'd be passing people and passing people. And then getting into that pro field, you all of a sudden don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. And then add on to that, that there's quite a few races where the water temperature cutoff is close to where the age group cutoff is, which means that the amateurs will have a wetsuit and we won't, mm -hmm. which, you know, especially now in the later years, in the past couple of years, when uh, we've gotten to rolling starts. So the fastest swimmers of the amateurs start first. If I only have a five minute gap, they will come and swim over me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm already not wearing a wetsuit where they are. So they're even faster. Right. So there's that. That's a huge difference as well. Um, and then there are some tiny, small differences when it comes to like drafting on the bike. Um, we are not as a pro, you're not allowed to slipstream. So as soon as you come within, I think it's 25 yards of the cyclist in front of you, you have to move out to the side and pass. If the people in front of you are spaced exactly legal length apart, you cannot get in between. So that means that once you pass the first person, you're also going to have to pass the second person. And if there's a row of like five or six women, I'm going to have to pass each of them. Um, the age groupers, the amateurs can slip in. So if I have an exact gap between me and a pro female in front of me, an age grouper can come past me and then just zip right in in the middle. That means I have to drop back. And then if then they pick up to go past the next one, then I have to catch back up. And so there's that constant back and forth, especially if it's if it's busy, if it's multi-loop courses, for example, I'm constantly battling, like, how do I manage the amateurs that are on slightly different rules than I am? Mm -hmm. um, and that's just, I mean, you get used to it, um, but it is, it, it can be, it can be mentally taxing. Sure. And that's a really, really good point, because I, I guess I'd never realized, you know, you see it all the time in like the professional races and a lot of races this year brought up the drafting issues to 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 light in a lot of the professional fields. But then I didn't necessarily realize that if like an age grouper slots in, you also have to respect that distance, too. So that just adds another um, complexity to the whole racing strategy and the whole um, whole racing kind of feel to it all. So that, that makes it much, much dip more difficult. Yeah. And I think it, it impacts the women much more, especially the women that are maybe not, maybe the front end women are slightly less impacted, but the women like I am kind of the middle of the pack, um, pro women, we are impacted because we also get often drafting groups of men that try to pass us. Mm. And so they will come back very quickly. And then I have to like, 
actively like break to get off of that to not get sucked into their draft right yeah and so you know you don't want to cheat and i've never wanted to draft so but that means you have to really be on top of it because also if the refs see it the person that's going to get the first penalty is the pro athlete right even if you're trying to actively avoid it um and i've never gotten a penalty and i've always really you know I want to race fair, but it is mm-hmm. something that as a, as a pro pro female athlete that you always have to kind of fight with is those faster age group men that don't really pl- always play fair. Yeah. That's a really, really important distinction. And the other thing that you've kind of mentioned that I kind of want to piece apart with a little bit too, in, in terms of mindset is you've kind of mentioned that running is more of your strength in these races. And so, um, I believe it was, was it in September when you raced Ironman Maryland or was it October? It was September and you play, you had the fastest women's run split of the day in the professional field, correct? I did. Yes. That's, that's awesome. And so with kind of coming through the field again, like you said, a lot of times it's desolate and you're just kind of running solo and you're just trying to catch up to those individuals ahead of you what does that take mentally and what kind of mental grit does that take to kind of come from the back and slowly one by one pick off those contenders where it's really just you in your head just trying to get as much of that run split and out of that marathon as possible yeah and it it's that's something that is interesting but it's also so different every race because it depends on you know is a race multiple loops sometimes it's three loops sometimes it's two loops um and it also depends, you know, have I passed people on the bike or not? And some some races I come off and come off the bike in a much better position than expected. And then it's just kind of like, how do I maintain my position? Potentially catch more, but how do I maintain? Um, I think the best I've done was Ironman Chattanooga back in 2019. I think I came off the bike in second or third, which was unexpected. And that's one of those things where then it's just kind of like, how do I maintain, right? How do I stick where I'm at and at least not lose any spots? But normally I come more from the back, kind of, as you said, I'm, I'm more, you know, I, I do okay on the bike, but I also have a gap to close because of my swim. And so then it's on that run where, you know, I have sometimes have no idea where I am. If I have someone with me, they can tell like spectators, they can tell me how far behind I am. But sometimes I just have no idea. I've had plenty of races where I, where I went alone. Um, and that just means that I get off the bike and if it's an out and back, maybe at some point I can see where people are ahead of me, but sometimes I just have no idea and you just kind of have to wing it. Um, and then the other thing, as you said, it's, it, you know, it can be pretty quiet because there's nobody on the run course yet. So that first lap of a run course, doesn't matter if it's one or two or three laps, that first lap is going to be really quiet. There's going to be very few people around. So I actually prefer courses that have multiple loops because then you kind of start seeing more and more people. Uh, It gets more congested, which is the downside of it, but it's kind of nice to start having people around, uh, around that second lap or something like that. But as a runner, you know, it is nice to, and a lot, often there are some out and backs on those run courses because that makes it spectator friendly. And it's great when you, when I can see someone ahead of me, right? If I know that I still have, you know, 10 miles to go or whatever it may be, and I can see someone ahead of me, even if they're quite a bit ahead of me, at least I can see them. And at that point, you kind of know like, okay, I think I can run them down, right? I'm just going to give it, give it, there's just a little bit of an extra boost. And that can be huge, just that mental boost of seeing someone. 
uh, even though you think you're already running at whatever you've got left, because that's really what an Ironman run is. It's just like, see whatever you have left and just, you know, try to keep moving. Uh, but just seeing someone else uh, can be a huge boost. Um, what I also often do is find men to run with, and they might be a loop behind me, or the pro men might be a loop ahead of me, but just find someone that has comes past me or like at just a slightly faster pace than I am, or that you kind of run into at like an aid station or something like that. And then just stick with them for a while. And sometimes I have little conversations. I've met plenty of people on these race courses that I can just run like a few miles with because we're kind of keeping pace with each other. Um, and that can be a huge mental boost as well. Cool. So really it's just like trying to find anything you can kind of hold on to or anyone you can kind of hold on to. Cause you're right. I mean, yeah. running a marathon at the end of an Ironman race is like worlds different than just running a, a solo marathon. And you know, it's pretty much like whatever you have left or just leave it all out there. And yeah, it's hard to find that mental grit and that mental space to just keep on pushing and keep on going. So really it seems like just, anything you can grasp hold of anything you can use for like momentum or motivation. Like you just kind of have to use at that time. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I don't think people realize how much of the Ironman is mental. Um, it's, you know, for me, it's like a 10 hour race. And by the time the five hour bike ride is already long and depending on the course that can be pretty, you know, mentally pretty brutal, but that run, it's just like trying to get everything out of your body that you've got left. And just making use of whatever you can. And that's people on the course, but aid stations, um, you know, I grab all the ice I can at aid stations just to kind of cool your body down. Um, depending on kind of what shape I'm in, uh, I will walk every other aid station. Um, like every, they have an aid station about every mile during an Ironman. And I've, you know, I've ran, you know, three hour, 10 marathons walking every other aid station just because it gives you that little moment to reset and, that moment of like hitting the wall where you feel like, you know, you're really just going into shuffle mode and you can just postpone that just as much as possible by giving yourself those moments to reset at aid stations. And especially if it's really hot, it can be really helpful to walk the aid station. And I don't walk anything else, right? It's just really targeted these the, every other aid station so that you can grab the water and the, and the ice and whatever you need and then pick it back up and go. Um, and, but I always do that plan. So um Again, that's a mental thing, right? If you plan your walk breaks, you know they're coming. You can look forward to them and use them. If you start adding unplanned walk breaks, it's 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 almost like a defeat, mm -hmm. and that's mentally very rough. Um, mm -hmm. So if I know going in that I'm going to walk every other aid station at least for like the first half marathon, and then we'll see how I feel. Um, then at least I know that it's coming, and it I, I can't I, it doesn't feel like a negative. It just feels like a part of the built-in plan. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you're trying to notch as many small positives as you can throughout the race because a three hour yeah. run at the end of a 10 hour day, like that's just mind boggling to have to think about. So it's trying to notch as many of those like positives and as least number of those negatives as possible. And then hopefully at the end of that race, you've notched more positives and negatives and can have a pretty good outcome overall. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. I think that's a great thing anyone can really take away from. It's just constantly because, I mean, whether it is a, a local 5K, half marathon, marathon, Ironman, half, Iron, half Ironman, whatever it is, it's always trying to 
just have those little wins and have those little successes. And it's hard because you, you get on that start line and you look at your whole day ahead. And sometimes it takes some mental practice to literally just like you said, just look at that uh, aid station that's coming up in another few feet or whatever it is and notch that as a win for you on the day. So I think that's a really good takeaway and a really good way to shift your mindset into the positive a little bit more. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I would add to that is that especially in an Ironman, but even in a half Ironman is that's kind of where I first kind of started with it is that idea that anything can happen during a race, right? I've had, I had races where I basically mentally gave up at the end of a bike ride because I didn't see anybody. I felt like I didn't have a good bike ride and then found, you know, just some people along the course that were cheering that just kind of gave me that little boost and then ended up running myself into a really good place. And you never know what's going to happen. You know, a hot day, people actually, you know, that might be in the front end of the race might drop out. You know, there's all these things, you know, some races, I've seen races where so many people just completely fell apart on the run. And then you can just kind of, if you, as long as you keep that mental game in place and you kind of, you know, stay steady, you can slowly kind of take them off. Um, I mean, Wisconsin, I think it was that year, um, I actually crashed my bike oh, during no. the bike. Yeah. I mean, it was 100% my own fault. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there was a sh- downhill with a sharp turn at the bottom. And I had ridden that course so many times that I knew it, but I had never ridden it with my race wheels. And I had carbon mm-hmm. race wheels during on race day, and they don't break as well. Uh, nowadays, my bike thankfully has disc brakes. But back then, we didn't, I didn't have disc brakes. And I remember going down that downhill, and I, there was a, a woman in front of me, not too far ahead. So I was trying to, trying to close that gap. And I just took it kind of, you know, at a decently high speed, the downhill, and then the left turn came and I hit my brakes. And all of a sudden I realized that I just didn't have the brake power to actually brake that I was used to. Um, and so I kind of hit the brakes. I tried and then knew what was, it wasn't going to happen. So I, I figured I had two options. And one was sliding out over the asphalt and the other was riding into the grass field behind it. And I chose option grass field. But as soon as my front wheel hit the grass field, I made a full on flip and my oh. stuff went flying everywhere. Oh my and goodness. So I, thought, I 100% thought my race was over. And so I get back up, I grab my bike and my chain was off. But other than that, my bike looked okay. Um, I had like a back a box on the back of my bike with like a spare tube and stuff. And that was broken, but you know, whatever. Um, and my nutrition had flown off of my bike, but was there. So I just grabbed my nutrition. And as I'm grabbing my stuff, there was a guy sitting there on a riding lawnmower. And he's like, don't worry about it. I'll get it. So I just grabbed what I needed in terms of nutrition and got back on my bike and just kept going. <laughs> um, and then later that same bike ride on the second loop, I got stopped by a train. Um, <laughs> and they do, give, yeah, they do give you that time back. But at that point, you're kind of skewed with people ahead of you, right? So on the run. So it all made, made the race a little wonky. But mm-hmm. I ended up still running myself into fourth. So, you know, it's one of those things where you just kind of keep going and it's anything can happen. And so you can still turn it around at any moment during, during a race like that. And it's so yeah. just finding that little bit of mental grit to kind of get back into it. That's, that's awesome because obviously, I mean, those are two big negatives. However, you were able to net the positives throughout the day and end up with a really, really solid fourth place finish on the day. So, and I know, I mean, the Wisconsin course for sure, there's so many of those like downhills and then all of a sudden straight into a turn that happens so many times on that course. So it's always like, I've ridden that course, like you said, so many different times. And it's always like, all right, 
I need to make sure I have enough break to make this curve because there are just literally so many of those spots on there where you stop your momentum and then like right when you get your momentum again, there's a nice big hill for you. Yeah, it's not an easy course, but that's part of the reason why I, I really used to love that course. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I love that course and that's why I'm going back to give it another go next year. So I'm looking forward to take two of it. So that'll be really, really fun. Yeah, they got, um, rid, of the, they got rid of the pro race last year. So, yeah, the they yeah. did. Well, it was the year, not this year, but the year before where it was like raining and cold and oh, there I were did a number that one. of people. I did that one. You did that one? How did that <laughs> one did go? That one. <laughs> it went all right. I had, a, I think I still had the fastest, I had the fastest run of the day there as well, I think. Um, oh, wow. And it was so cold, so cold. And that run was actually one of the more brutal runs I've ever done because when, when I started that run, there was nobody out there, no spectators, no nothing, right? No other runners. It was, that was the most desolate I've ever seen a run course. Wow. Um, Which is out of the ordinary for Madison, because usually the town absolutely lights up for Ironman Day. And 100%. so, oh. Yeah. Oh, and to be uh, kind of fun fact is the, all pro women that started actually finished the race, which. I oh, that's awesome. Impressive. Yeah. That that's definitely so cool. doesn't always happen. But on a day like that, I feel like that's always a little win. Yeah. And that was not the same for the men, pro men field, if my memory serves me right. I don't think so. No. no. Um, so then kind of switching gears a little bit on the other side of things, you've also mentioned you have like a decent history with past injuries. What has that experience has been like and what type of like mental grit and fight has that taken to fight through those injuries time and time again? Yeah, I tend to get injured a lot. Um, realistically, looking back at the years, I've had one significant injury every year or so. Uh, and that, you know, there's been quite a few stress fractures though, over the past few years. Thankfully, I've only had one, uh, but I had a, quite a few in the first couple of years. And then I've had tendonitis a lot. That tends to be my downfall is tendonitis somewhere, tendinopathy one way or another. Um, Achilles, um, uh, anterior tib, I've had that one a couple times. And then uh, some stuff around the hip, I've torn my labrum. So there's always something that I need to work through. Every season, there is something. And um, I think that's a perk of triathlon. I have to say, um, is that most with most of my injuries, I've been able to maintain riding my bike. And even though I love running and it's my favorite part and it's also my strength, it's also been super frustrating because I know that running is my strength and I will have an okay run, even if I have been injured. But to be able to be competitive at these races, I need to have a great run. And to have a great run, I need to have a steady lead up in training. And so there's that, that part of it where getting injured every time, especially when I feel like I'm in a really good place. And then all of a sudden something just pops up and then I'm set back for, you know, somewhere between four to six weeks of no running often like, and that's super frustrating, but with the bike, you know, I just have increased my bike time while during those phases. And I can maintain a lot of my fitness in doing that. I have a severe dislike for pool running, so I do not do it. I also do not like the elliptical. Um, I do like the Stairmaster, so I will, you know, I'll be the crazy person that spends an hour running up the stairs at the at the gym. Um, and, you know, it's a very sweaty mess and people look at me like I'm absolutely insane. Um, but I can't blame them because it probably is. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, it's one of those things where I find 
other ways to manage it um, and to, to maintain shape while I'm out from running and then build up the run really slowly. Um, and, you know, yeah, I, I see my physical therapist regularly, even if I'm not injured, I'll have, I have semi-regular check-ins. Um, but I very much believe in, you know, things like dry needling and, and just general, um, you know, and any kind of stra- scraping, stretching, whatever, mobility work. Um, and then I very much rely on, on my physical therapist to get me back into running. So kind of the build up so that I don't drop myself right back into the next injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps me pace it. I have my, I have my coach on the one side, but my coaches are always remote so they can't actually see me. Right. So I use my physical therapist as a proxy to help me kind of get back into, um, to help me get through the injury and then back into running so that I don't, you know, and my injury is always very unpredictable. Um, I do the strength work that I need to, I think that I need to be doing. Um, and I've worked with multiple physical therapists over the years, but my injuries are just always something different. So it's, it mm-hmm. makes it very unpredictable, mm-hmm. uh, but that just kind of is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just something I've learned that I just need to work through and just always think about coming back stronger. Yeah. And, you know, and to me, it's also a good gauge to figure out kind of like how, how much damage can I be doing, right? There are certain injuries or small light injuries, never something major, but light injuries where it's like, okay, you can kind of run through that, right? They were like, mm-hmm. like I tore my labrum. Um, and once we, once through the right positions, I figured out that I had torn my labrum. They were basically kind of like, just run through it as long as you can run through it, because we can't guarantee that surgery is necessarily going to fix it. And so, and that will still sometimes, you know, I can go without it for months and it'd be fine. And then at some point it'll come back. Um, but you've, I've kind of learned that it's okay to run through that one. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with other stuff, I've learned over the years that as soon as I start feeling anything, I need to go see my physical therapist. And if I'm lucky, we can nip it in the bud and he can, you know, needle out whatever muscle is tight or, you know, give me some balance, some exercise or something to do to kind of like, you know, get that, get that muscle or tendon, you know, back into the right place um, and balanced out. And if not, you know, he can tell me if how serious this is. And often we need to, we need to, I mean, the number of times that I've baffled my physical therapist, I mean, there's quite a few of those that were like <laughs> looking at pictures, trying to figure out what actually is hurting. Um, but usually we end up figuring it out. And if, you know, if, if we don't figure it out or I'm not sure if it could be a stress fracture or not, because at this point, that's one of my bigger fears, right. Is to run into more stress fractures. And then my second line of defense is my sports doctor who is non-surgical. Um, and I prefer the opinion from someone that's non-surgical. Yeah. I feel like if, if he decides that it needs more work, then he will send me to surgical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that that's non-surgical first. And, you know, I like him a lot. He's great. I kind of see him almost as my primary care physician because he understands athletes. And um, he also, I also get my blood work done through him. Um, and I find that that works for me personally, that works better than going to like, you know, and it's kind of like a general practitioner or something like that and getting blood work done there, because I will often have numbers that are kind of off, Mm -hmm. uh, because I worked out that morning or because, you know, I'm an athlete and, you know, I supplement with certain things and I, you know, I like, it's just like vitamin D and, and iron, but my expectation for those levels are just a little higher than what they are for the general person, especially since I have a history of stress fractures. And so having someone that understands those numbers and what to look for and when things are abnormal, he knows if they are actually abnormal or if they're 
good for me, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of use him for all the things. So injuries and that. And then, you know, some I've had, you know, sometimes they'll give me, not sometimes, every once in a while, if it's really needed, I've gotten like a PRP injection or something like sure. that. And then I go back to the physical therapist yeah, to yeah. help me kind of ease back into whatever, into running. Mm -hmm. um, and so I find, I find that, that that balance between those different doctors, the, the physical therapist and the doctor, that works pretty well for me. And mm -hmm. At this point, they know me well. I have people that I trust. Kind of going off of two things there. Number one, um, I feel like I've had that conversation a lot with different patients in that a lot of runners, when they find like, um, whether it's PT or doctor, the fear is always like, they're going to tell me I can't run anymore um, type of thing. And I always like to tell people like, that's not the goal. Like there, of course, are certain injuries where if we suspect them, like if we suspect a bone stress injury, of course, we're not going to be running until we rule that out. Um, but a lot of times like tendinopathies, like you, like you may have had or other injuries, sprains, strains. Um, there's usually a way that we can adequately find um, a strategy for you to progress back into running quicker um, rather rather than later. And I think that kind of goes into the next topic of like, how did you find your providers? Or like, what did you specifically look for in your PT and sports doc um, to really develop that like trust relationship with them? I definitely always look for someone that has experience in working with athletes. To me, that's very important. Um, I have, you know, just through general referrals, ended up with people that are just more generalists, which nothing wrong with that for 95% of the population, right? But for me, that just doesn't work. If you're going to see and see if I can, you know, I don't know, stand on a leg for 30 seconds or do stuff like that I'm just kind of going to stand there and be like okay I'm done leaving right you need to they, I need someone to understand what level I'm coming in at um, because I need them to also be able to address specific issues and as you said help me work through injuries not just pull me out um, and so yeah here here where I am right now I live in Fayetteville Arkansas I mean there's a pretty large athletic community um, and so, you know, you can kind of figure out what the clinics are that the athletes go to. And I ended up with, uh, with a physical therapist who, um, was kind of newer to the clinic. Um, but his had, you know, was ortho trained and, you know, sports focused, uh, had a lot of experience with knee injuries. That was kind of his interest. And, you know, a lot of my injuries aren't knee related, um, but I also have had knee related injuries. Uh, and so having someone that kind of understands that, um, has been very helpful. Um, and yeah, he's been he, like, if I hadn't liked him, I would have just picked someone else. Right. Yeah. It's one of those, you know, there's plenty of other people around, but once I find someone I like, I just kind of stick with it. Um, mm -hmm. and I have his number. So if I need it, if I have any weird random questions about injuries or things that hurt or whatever, I can just text him and he'll just, you know, text me back. And so that's very helpful. Um, and the same with the sports doctors, you know, I find someone that had or clinic that has experience with working with athletes, that to me is super important. So the clinic that, that I go to now, they used to do all of the football and basketball injuries from the university of Arkansas here. So they just have a lot of experience with high level athletes. Um, and to me that that's just important for me in wanting to get back to sports um, and having someone that understand, understands what that, what that balance looks like. Mm -hmm. That's great because as athletes, it, it looks a lot different a lot of times, like you said, than 95% of the general population, when you are trying to 
perform at your best over a nine to 10 hour race, you have different demands than, you know, the general population. So it's really important to find those individuals that have that expertise, but also have a good relationship with them too. one that you can actually like trust what they're telling you and trust what they're saying and really trust that communication that you have back and forth. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I know kind of also switching gears here, you are attempting a little bit of a different professional feat in your athletic career. Do you want to kind of let us know what that new feat is for you? After Ironman Maryland uh, um, in September, I decided it was kind of time for something different because as I mentioned, I had started a new job back in June um, and uh, my wife is pregnant. So we're also expecting uh, a baby boy in May. Congratulations. And- Thank you. That's and awesome. so with all of, th- all of that combined, uh, the training was just a lot. And, you know, I have always loved the training and I've always loved stacking my days, but it, with actually being in the office full days, it means, you know, I get up at five in the morning, I go swim, I go straight to work. I, you know, get home. It's like a 30 minute drive. I get back home from work at five 30 ish, you know, I take feed the dogs or whatever needs to be done. And then I still need to go out, run or ride my bike somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half, maybe a little more than that. So by the time I'm done, it's like inhale food and go to sleep. And that's every day. And then the weekend rolls around and you think you have some time to relax. But my Saturdays would be, you know, six to seven hour bike rides, uh, potentially with a run off of it. And then a long run on Sunday. So you have like your Sunday left, right? Your Sunday, but you're absolutely toast at that point. And so there's no room for a social life. Um, you know, my wife is super supportive and she also travels for work mostly during the week. So that gave me that little extra wiggle room. But I, you know, it started to wear and tear um, just mentally. And, uh, I just wanted to have an evening where I could just sit and stare at a wall. You know, <laughs> I just <laughs> needed a little break. And so after Maryland, um, I decided I was done racing for the season. Um, but I didn't want to not want to not do anything. And I also didn't want to train through the whole winter, which is kind of the harder part to train through just because you do everything inside. Um, I normally train on the bike inside during the week, but at the weekends, at least I could go outside. But when it gets colder, that becomes harder and harder, Um, especially also with the short days, too. So there's definitely really, you know, you're already training in the dark uh, a lot of the time before and after work. And so it just becomes harder and harder to get those long days in. And um and especially, you know, if we're going to have a baby in May, I, I could potentially do one early season race before that, but that would probably be it. So to kind of not go into not doing anything, because I don't think I'm built for that. And I love the competition and I love the training for a competition. I've decided that I'm going to try to just run a marathon. I have done plenty of Ironmans in the past years, and I have never run just a marathon. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to try that. Um, and I'm now working with a, just a run specific coach. So all I'm doing is running. This is the mm-hmm. longest in, I don't know how many years that I've not ridden my bike and, or swam. Um, but I'm just running right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, so we're going to kind of, I'm going to ease into it. Um, I'm going to run the Houston marathon in January, just kind of as a trial run, because again, I've never run one. So I just mm-hmm. want to kind of see what it feels like, what the buildup of it is. Um, I'm expecting it to be very painful, just heads up. I mean, and that comes, I mean, 
compared to an Ironman, I'm expecting this to be more painful. So we'll see. Um, but um, yeah, so the hope is to run that. That's kind of like just a kind of as a fun test run just to kind of see what it's like to run with people too, because right, we I'll start with a whole bunch of people that are going to be around my pace. So I might actually have people that I can run with for most of the way. So that'll be interesting too. Um, and then in the long term, so maybe, you know, we'll kind of work to it. But the goal, my goal is to break 237, which is the Olympic, Olympic trials cutoff. Um, not because I feel like I stand a chance of anything, doing anything miraculous in the Olympic trials. Um, I mean, these women run in the low two hours, you know, um, and that's not something. But I think the Olympic trials is a, is is going to be a fun target for me to see how close I can get and if I can break that 237. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's such a great goal. And it's cool to see that little bit of a of a pivot. And I think that hits on mastery super well, because you want to be the best you can professionally um, in your family, but you also want to have that competitive edge and be able to find something that you can push yourself further athletically as well. Because like you said, it's it's hard to not perform and it's hard to not, you know, have that athletic inclination when you're so used to performing at such a high level and competing in 70.3s and full Ironmans and things like that. So that's really cool to see that little bit of a pivot you've decided to make in your professional career. So kudos to you on that. That's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. It'll be a fun new adventure, right? Um, And something where I can find a new edge, a new limit, right? Um, and I think that'll be interesting because yes, you can drop down and start racing as an amateur in triathlon or something like that. But I, if I do that now, maybe I will feel different in, you know, five or 10 years. But if I do that now, I feel like I'm just going to be racing, not to the level that I know that I could be racing at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I think to enjoy that, I'm going to need to have to take a solid break to where I'm no longer, I no longer would be competing at the same level even if I was at training the same amount, right? So um, maybe in five to 10 years when I feel like I'm no longer competitive, I would no longer be competitive at the pro field anyway because I'm just getting older. Um, then maybe I'll, I'll, I'll want to fall back into triathlon um, and kind of try to find my limits as a slightly not older, but a somewhat older athlete um, within triathlon and see what that brings. But I think for now, I think running is kind of something that I can just throw everything at without it taking up 30 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that that is part of like the aspect of finding something that is going to challenge you? Because like you said, you could go into amateurs, but you know, you might not find that same challenge as if trying something new and trying to find the competitive edge while running, uh, racing a marathon all in itself. Exactly. I told my wife I could either start running or try uh, American Ninja Warrior, but I feel like <laughs> I don't might not quite have that explosiveness in me. So, so I think running seems like a safer bet. That's awesome. I mean, and, and that's what it's all about. And I feel like a lot of us runners and endurance athletes are always have that mindset of be like, okay, what's going to challenge me? What's going to challenge me at the next level? What's going to lead to greater growth, um, in, in myself and in who I am. And, um, when you look at kind of that interaction of finding the challenge, athletically and you know your personal life and your professional life how do all of those interact with each other like do you find that you have uh, you learn a lot from your competitions that you apply to your personal and professional life and vice versa oh 100 and i think 
it's always been kind of natural to me to challenge myself. And I think that comes in, in all avenues of my life. I can, I think, can find, find that. Um, I'm also a very practical person. I think, you know, I'm very much, you know, with work, with home life, with training, you know, I'm very structured. I like to be structured. I like to have structure. Um, and I like to ha know what I'm working towards. And I like to know that I'm taking steps towards it. Right. So there's that constant cycle of wanting to improve and, and evaluating where you are. Right. So is where am I at? Where am I right now? Where do I want to go? What's the best route to get there? Um, I like coming up with solutions. I don't like spinning my wheels. I don't want to just that's kind of like the part that I when I decided that I was kind of needed a break from triathlon, I fell into this little moment of like, OK, but what now? Right. Um, and I just needed something to work towards. And I like that at my work too, you know, and, and I, I don't want to be sitting still. I want to know that I'm improving and I want to kind of have a target or a goal of something that I'm working towards. And I think that that transcends in, in every part of my life. Is it always good? I'm not sure, right? Sometimes it, it adds a lot of pressure. Um, and I think that, that you know, has, has taken me a lot of years in triathlon too to work through is, is Initially, it was a lot of fun to race as a pro because I was a new pro and I didn't know what I was doing anyway, right? And then you have those races where, you know, I started racing the full Ironman distance. I had a few top five finishes and then even a few third place finishes. And then I reached that point where now people kind of knew who I was and there were certain expectations, which were probably primarily in my own mind, right? Um, but all of a sudden, I like had multiple races in a row where I just couldn't perform to my, to, to where I knew I was in training. Right. So it got very frustrating and that became this, this mental uh, battle that I kind of had to work through and really kind of figuring out how do you stop putting too much pressure on yourself and talking yourself out of things and talking yourself down. And I think that has also transcended in some of my work, work life. Um, I think for a while, you know, I, I had a job that I absolutely loved, but it wasn't as challenging. And I kind of told myself that that was fine. And I think at some point I realized that I think it was a little bit of a cop out. Um, I think I, I was just afraid to fail. And I think, you know, figuring out what that means to you and, and how you kind of break through those cycles. Um, I mean, now I'm in a job where, you know, I'm every day I'm trying to figure out what it is that I'm actually doing. Right. I mean, and I love it. Um, but I had to get back to a place where I was comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think that's that goes for sports as well. You need to find that place where you're comfortable being uncomfortable. Otherwise, you won't make progress. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that says a lot about who you are as a person that you're always trying to seek the opportunities that are going to lead to the greatest amount of growth. And I feel like um, a lot of people, a lot of high performing individuals, whether it's um, professionally, athletically, whatever it is, have that similar growth mindset of always trying to find the thing that, yeah, it may be very scary and there may be a chance of failure, but you know that it's going to lead to a lot of learning and a lot of finding out who you are as a person and a lot of good life lessons that you can take with you down the road in all of the next future endeavors with you. 100%. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so to kind of cap it off then, as such a um, high performing individual, athletically, personally, professionally, what is your kind of unique definition of mastery? I would argue that mastery is a moving target. Um, I think it's something you always work towards but never reach. 
I think, you know, as long as you're trying to get better at something, there's always places that you can improve and ways that you can improve. And I think mastery is that that you strive for. But I think it should be a moving target because if it, if it is something that you achieve, then you're no longer striving for something. Um, and I would like to think that I'm always going to want to strive for something, right? Always want to be a little bit better tomorrow than I was today in whatever way, shape or form that may be. Um, so I want, want my, to me, mastery is that end goal that's never, that you never really get to. And I'm okay mm-hmm. with that because it means that I'm always going to be trying to get there. Awesome. That's great. Um, anything else that you would like to share or add, uh, regarding anything at all? I, the one thing I think I would like to add to all of it is that the people that I've met through, for example, racing and stuff like that, the people that I have around me, um, I think, you know, we can't forget about how much that brings. Um, I do a lot of my training alone, but whenever I do, you know, I have a couple of people here that I do some of my runs with some phenomenal runners, um, that will, you know, sometimes be fine adjusting their runs to my needs um, because, you know, I have a coach and he assigns me runs. And so like, I have to, either they might may or may not have structure or whatever. Um, and they just adapt to my needs, which is absolutely lovely. And having that just makes it run so much easier, right? Um, having a family that has always my, my, my family, like my parents, my brother, they've always been super supportive and excited, excited about like me doing this as is my wife, you know, you need those people in your, on your side, um, coaches, um, but also just the people that you meet along the way, you know, a big part of what happened during COVID was that we didn't race, right, for a little while. And that also meant that a lot of us pro women that, you know, we race in the same circuit, so you know, a lot of each other, we also had like a solid year, or maybe even two that we just didn't see each other, which was really weird. Because we don't necessarily live in the same place, but we all come together for these races. And these are people that over the years I've gotten really close to. Um, and the whole field is just so supportive. All the women, you know, there's women that are, you know, race in the top end of the field and win race after race. And yet they are so supportive of someone like me who, you know, race is kind of middle of the pack. Um, and, I, you know, it's always been one of my favorite things is getting to races and interacting thing with the other women that I race against. Um, I mean, there's also the men, but we're kind of separated because we start separately and some of the races only have a women's or a men's race. So I just know the women much better. Um, but having gotten, getting, being able to get to know all these people, um, I think in the end, that's almost more important than the racing itself. Um, it's the people, the spectators, um, anybody kind of like that supports uh, mentally and physically in that way. Mm-hmm. That's great. None of us are on our own island. There's always that interaction that we have with family, with um, co-workers, um, other fellow racers and people that share the same passion. So um, I think that's great because we you're right. We can't forget all those individuals who have helped us along the way and are currently helping us kind of wherever we we may be you know um you know that may be your name on the finish you know list but there's so many people behind that name that it really wouldn't have been possible without so that's that's awesome that's great 
Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ramsey, for joining me. I really, really appreciate all of your insight. And I know a lot of listeners will really appreciate your stories and your insight and just your constant growth mindset, too. I think that's really, really great to have. And it's really um, great to share that and to you know talk about it as well so that individuals who have that similar mindset know that there's people out there on a daily basis just grinding away and just constantly trying to grow and improve and whatever way they possibly can. Um, so I think that's awesome. And do you have any um, like social media or anything like that that you would like to share that people can kind of follow along with you and your story, especially as you tackle um, this next journey in your athletic life? Yeah, for sure. Um, the best place to follow me is on Instagram. Um, I have a website, but it hasn't been updated in a bit. But Instagram is kind of most up to date, um, easiest way to follow me for sure. Wonderful. We will go ahead and make sure that we post that in the show notes as well. So people can follow along with your journey and your story and all of that good stuff. So once again, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone for listening. And until next time, happy and healthy training. Thank you.